Does it make anybody else nervous that your family gets to write your obituary? You ever thought about that? Wanda and I were talking not long ago in a discussion about, uh, she was talking about that, uh, about my funeral. Now, I don't know why she was talking about my funeral unless she's got plans or intentions that, that I don't know about. But she was talking about things that she wanted to say at my funeral. And then if I had a flashback because I remembered, um, you know, reading a few years ago an obituary that startled me. Because most obituaries, when you read them, um, are just basic, you know, basic facts about stuff and, you know, where people went to school, what they did. And you, you don't usually see people kind of letting it all hang out in an obituary. But there was an obituary a couple of years ago that just, when it caught me, it just startled me. It was written by a family in Galveston uh, about the, their father-husband that passed away. His name was Leslie Ray. And uh, they wrote it, and they were just as blunt as you could be. Listen, listen to what they wrote. At a young age, Liz, Leslie quickly became a model of bad parenting. Wow, what a great opening line. He had a commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and basically being generally offensive. He died at 75, which was 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he absolutely deserved. Further, he will be missed only for what he never did. He never was a loving husband, a loving father, or a good friend. He did serve in the Navy, but that was only as a part of a plea deal to escape sentencing on criminal charges. On the positive side, Leslie's passing does prove that evil does in fact die. And hopefully it marks a time for healing and safety for all. Wow. Anybody else go, that's a way too much information. Okay. But the fact of the matter is our lives leave an incredible impression on those that we leave behind. Just a thought, but let it sink in for a second. So what would your family say about you? If, God forbid, you were to suddenly pass today, what would they write about you if they were honest? What would they say about you if they were honest? What would they want people to know about you if they were honest? Well, that's what I want to talk about. We kicked off this series last week um, called Walk This Way, and we're talking about this walk of faith that Jesus invites us to, and we're looking at it from a lot of different perspectives. And today, I, I want to talk about um, the fact that I, I want to talk about the place where this walk really does mean the most. Once you, if you have your sermon outlines, you want to take them out, you can track along with me. We'll throw it up on the screen for you. And for those of you watching online, we'll throw all of that up on the screen for you so you can track along with us as well. I, I want you to look with me at a, at a verse of Scripture that I think is just a, such a profound prayer. It's from Psalm 101, and it's verse 2. Ready? Why don't you read this out loud with me, would you? I will try to walk a blameless path, but how I need your help, especially in my own home where I long to act as I should. Let that sink in. 
Now, when I read this, I thought, what, a, what an incredible verse. Let, listen to what, let, me, let me read this again for you. I will try to walk a blameless path, but oh, how I need your help. Now, look at me. How many of you would be honest enough to admit in your walk of faith, you need the help of God? Anybody? Yeah. And here, how about, can you, can you, can you agree with the second part? Especially in my own home. Especially in my own home where I long to act as I should. Here's what I know without, without even having to think much about it, is that I promise you that there are many of us who have had moments in these last few weeks or a month where we were away from our home and we thought about how we had acted or how we had spoken around our family, and we felt guilty about that because we did not act as we should. Now, what I want to suggest to you today is when we talk about um, this walk of faith and what it really means to have a walk with Jesus, our homes, our families, those who are closest to us, that's where our walk means the most. Why? Well, let me give you several reasons on your outline real quick. The first is this. Family godliness, family godliness is our primary God-given responsibility. Family godliness is our primary God-given responsibility. Did you guys really listen to the verse I read just a little bit ago when we were doing the, the child dedication from Deuteronomy 6? When God was saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. In other words, you as parents, you as you love the Lord God with all your heart. You you get all of that for yourself as a way of faith, and then you teach this to your children. In other words, it was God's design from the beginning of time was that faith would be passed primarily through our family that we would come and become people of faith, that we would grow up and become men and women of God, and then that we would raise children, that we would teach the ways of God, and we would teach them how to teach their children and how they would teach their children. That was God's design from the very beginning. Family godliness. Godliness outside the home, yeah, that's important, but family godliness is our primary responsibility. Amen? Amen. Secondly, it's where our walk has the most impact. It's where our walk has the most impact. Your life has the most impact on the people that you are the closest to. Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting. Um, they've done several studies on uh, the things that influence kids. And what's interesting is how often when parents are talking together, parents will say that they, they think other people have more influence on their children. Um, when you say, what is the biggest influencers on, your, on, on kids? Parents will say, well, it's the media, uh, it's movies they watch, it's their friends. Um, all of these things, you know, are really the biggest influencers. But do you realize that across the board, children have said over and over and over again that their parents are the biggest influencers in their life? Even kids agree to that. So that means that if I really want my life to have impact, I need to be most careful about it at home because that's where I'm going to have the most impact. Thirdly, and this hurts a bit, 
It's at home is where we are the most closely observed. It's where we are the most closely observed. You know, I don't don't know how many of you are, but any of you like me that when I get home, I change clothes immediately. Anybody else do that? I mean, I, I, I don't wear this all day. I don't, I don't, as soon as I get home, baby, I'm throwing on my lounge pants. You know, I'm throwing on my t-shirt. Anybody else do this? I mean, yeah, I, I remember I was, I remember one day I, I had on these really, these loud, these very loud patterned lounge pants that I had on, pajama kind of pants and a, and a raggedy old t-shirt. And I wanted to go out to get to mail and my son was there and my son said, dad, you can't walk outside like that, you know, you can't, and it was like, I don't care, I'm not trying to get a date, you know, I don't, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, press anybody, why, because at home, home is where we, home is where we kind of let it all hang out, you know, it's just, it's where we, where we peel off the mask, and we're just ourselves, but it's at home is where we're the most closely watched, you know, when we go to work, we have these, you know, interactions with people. When we go to church, we have these interactions with people. But it's the people that you live with, those are the ones who really see you as you really are. Does that make sense to you? Fourthly, think of this. Our home is our primary mission and discipleship field. Home is our primary mission and discipleship field. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. Where does it begin? Jerusalem. Where is the primary place that if we were going to win people to Jesus Christ, who are the ones that we should be the most concerned about, the most passionate about reaching, and have the most opportunity to reach? Simple. It's the people who are closest to us. Does that make sense to you? And not only is that our mission field in terms of the people that we really want to reach to come to Christ, but it's also our, our biggest discipling field. You know, Jesus, Matthew 28 says, go into all the world and do what? Make disciples. Disciple them. Teach them to obey all these things that I've commanded you. Now, they teach them my way. Well, where's, where's the best place that we get the chance to really do discipling with other people? Right there in our home. We don't usually think of it that way, but it's the case. And here's the last thought I want to give you, and I think this is true, too, for many of us. It's often the place where our walk is the hardest. It's often the place where our walk is the hardest. Now, this may not be true for you, but I promise you it's true for some of us. For some of us, we don't have hardly any problem at all um, demonstrating the character of Christ when we're at work or we're out and about. But it's when we're home, surrounded by these people who annoy us so much it becomes a little bit more challenging to be Christ-like there. Amen? Yeah, some of you are lying. I know it is. It is. It's where it's the hardest, which is why that's where it means the most. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take just a few minutes, and I want to I give you a couple of things to think about and some challenges of some things for you to put into practice.
Are you ready? Here we go. Here's the first one. First thing I want to just remind us of is that families are God's way of exposing our missing fruit. Families are God's way of exposing our missing fruit. Now you say, Pastor Steve, what fruit are you talking about? Talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Talking about the fruit that the Bible says should be being demonstrated in our lives if we truly are followers of our Lord Jesus Christ. We get a good list of them uh, right there in Galatians chapter 5. Look with me. Read it out loud. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, let me stop there. If I were to ask the people who have been around you the most for the last week or month, would that be the fruit they would tell me that they've seen? How much love? How much joy? How much peace? How much patience? How much kindness? How much gentleness? How much self-control would they say? You see, one of the things that we, we, we think, when we think about living the Christian life, we can read that list and we think, oh yeah, I've got joy and I've got, but do we really demonstrate that where it really means the most in, in our home when we're surrounded by the people who are the closest to us? Um, our family are like mirrors. Yeah, come on, just us. How many of you are like me, and the older you get, the less you like looking in a mirror? Anybody? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm really good if I'm all dressed like if I When I walk in the bathroom and I'm naked and I look in the mirror, it's like, <gasps> you know. I can't be me. That body can't be mine, you know. We don't, we, we don't like mirrors. Well, same. we don't like to really see ourselves as we are. And that's what our family does. Our family reflects back to us who we really are. One of, my, one of my favorite stories, some of you have heard me tell before, but several years ago when we were living in Pennsylvania, I came home one day and uh, found Wanda in the kitchen. And Wanda's a, a great Bible student. She had her Bible out. She had several commentaries and she had been doing some study on different stuff. And, and uh, I walked in the kitchen and Wanda looks up and you could tell she just had this new profound thought. And she looks at me, and she gets this little smile on her face, and she goes, God sanctifies me through you. And, and she just had this look, this smile, and I'm thinking, what? God sanctifies you through me? And then I started thinking about it, and I went, well, yes, of course. I am the man of God. Every day I, I go to the mountain of God and God pours out his glory upon me and I come home and that glory spills out upon you. And, 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 I'm, and it's like Wanda's going, oh no, that's not what I mean at all. Get a hold of yourself. And I'll never, I'll never forget this. She looked at me with this, all the sincerity within and she goes, no, you bring out the worst in me. Now, hear my heart. She wasn't being ugly. She was stating a fact. And here's what she said. She said, Steve, I always saw myself as a patient person. And then God brought you into my life. 
And you know what I discovered? I'm not nearly as patient as I thought. She said, I always thought of myself as a selfless person. She said, I I wanted to be a teacher in Appalachia and and help poor children and and give everything I have away. And she goes, I always thought of myself as as being so unselfish and, and selfless. She goes, and then God brought you into my life. And you're in my space. And you're in my stuff. And you're in my way, you know. And she goes, all of these thoughts that I had about me, she goes, got thrown out the window because of you, you know. Well, what was she saying? She was saying this truth that we really don't like to get, but it's so true. It is easy to be godly when there's no one around. But the closer you bring people, the more challenging it becomes. Amen? You better believe it. Um, I, I love how the proverb writer framed it in Proverbs 27, 17. Read it with me. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Listen, I know you get annoyed with your family sometimes. But the fact of the matter is, whether you like it or not, your family are simply mirrors. And they are showing you a little more of the true you that you really don't want to see. Now, that connects me to my second thought, and it's this. As you see yourself... Confront the blemishes that are marring your Christ-like image to your family. Confront the blemishes that are marring that Christ-like image to your family. Now, look at me. Everybody make eye contact. Hear my heart. Little things make a big difference. Say that out loud. Little things make a big difference. I know you got masks on. Say it louder. Little things make a big difference. Now, why this is so important is that we, we, when we think about our Christian life, most of you are doing a lot of things really well. And in many ways, you are being men and women of God. It's those little blemishes, though, that we allow that really do detract from the impact that we're trying to make. Some of you will understand this. Um, anybody remember when the Challenger exploded? Anybody remember that? Um, this month, that'll be uh, 35 years ago this month, um, toward the, I think like January 28th or something. And, if, and what was tragic for many of us who watched that, you know, 70-some seconds into flight, yes, this rocket blows up, um, killing eight people on board and all of this stuff. But the real tragedy is when you get to the heart of why that rocket blew up was because of this O-ring that was in the rocket, this sealing ring that was supposed to be in there to create a seal. And they knew through their, through their studies, their testing, they knew that it didn't function well under cold temperatures. And it was one of the coldest days in Florida history when they launched that rocket. And yet it, it got past the chain of command somehow and all this kind of stuff. But it, out of this huge, massive rocket, it was this little O-ring that created this disaster. Now, if you can get that, here's what I want you to understand. The trouble for most of our families and the problems for most of our family are not caused by big things. They are little things. Now, I listed some of what those little things are on your outline. Our words. What you say and how you say it creates um, either a, a great atmosphere in your family 
or it creates a painful atmosphere in your family. Just stop for a second. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I want you to think back. I want you to think back at the things you said and how you said them to the people that you're closest to over the last week. I'll bet most of us could identify things that came out of our mouth that should have never come out or should have never come out in the way that it came out. Other things, our attitude, our selflessness, our selfishness, our lack of gratitude, our impoliteness, um, our, our lack of forgiveness, our lack of repentance. Holy cow, what would happen in our families if we really took that serious and we really began to be able to say those words, I'm sorry, or we really began to say those words, that was my fault, or I know it's hard to say, but what if we were able to say to each other, I was wrong. In fact, let's do a little group therapy. Just turn to the people who are closest to you and just say to them, say, I was wrong. Just practice. Some of you can't even do it now. That's horrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want to say to you, because you got to get this. These, these are the little things that really create the culture of your family. I love what James says in James 3. Read it with me. So also the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. A great forest can be set on fire by one tiny spark. Here's a thought. Families, here's a thought. All these things, I gave you eight of them on your outline. What, what if you made this a family challenge and took one of these each week and said, this week as a family, we're going to focus on the words we say and how we say them. And we're going to help each other say things in a better way. We're going to use better words and we're going to say them in a nicer way. What would happen if you just spent all week just focusing on that? And then the next week you said, okay, this week we're going to focus on our attitudes. There will be no pouting. There will be no negativity. There will be no griping and complaining. How many, how many, you guys, how many of you are ready to get started with this right now? Yeah? Yeah. What, what would happen if you spent a week on that? You see, here's what, here's what will happen, and this, you, you, you can't believe the impact it'll make. If you would do this for eight weeks and just each week take one of these and truly talk about it as a family and work on it, what you would do is you would shape the culture of your family to be more Christ-like than it's ever been before. Because the essence of a Christ-like family isn't in the big things. It's in the little things and doing them well. Now, let me give you one more, and I saved the hardest for last. Are you ready? Give your family your best, even when they give you their worst. Give your family your best, even when they give you their worst. Now, here's why I say that. I, I, I imagined myself, when I was writing this message, I was imagining myself preaching it, and I was imagining comments that I've, al I've already heard from people many through the years, and that is when I talk about these things like this, people will say to me, Pastor Steve, you have no idea who I live with. You have no idea how difficult they are. 
You have no idea the things that they sometimes say to me. You have no idea what they say or what they do. And I, I get this now. Please hear my heart. I'm not talking about the fact that there aren't time to have boundaries. I'm not talking about the fact that, that we should allow people to abuse us and all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the normal day-to-day stuff that sometimes family members do that really get under our skin, that really annoy us. And in fact, can we be honest? Every single family member has a bad day once in a while. And what if on their bad day, you chose to give them a piece of your good day? What if when they were at their worst, you chose that day to be at your best? Listen to the challenge that the Apostle Paul gives in Colossians 3. He says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Now read it out loud with me, church. Remember, the Lord forgave you So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Now, what kind of love was Jesus talking about? Well, look look at John 15. Look at what he says there. Read that out loud with me. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, look at me. We often talk about our family, you know, we love our family so much. I would die for my wife. I would die for my husband. I would die for my kids. I would die for my parents. You know, and we we make these grand statements. But what if God wants to take your life one day at a time? What if God doesn't want to kill you instantaneously with a bullet to protect your family? But what if he wants you to lay down your ego? What if he wants you to lay down your pride today? What if God wants you in this moment in time today to let go of your anger that you want to spew on someone who offended you? That too is laying down your life. Now, sometimes we forget, church. God did not forgive us when we were at our best. God forgave us when we were at our worst. And that's how we are to forgive others. Amen? I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. Throw it up on the screen for me. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable. Why? Read it with me. Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. So what would your family write about you if you were to die today? You know, it's interesting, on the same day that I came across that obituary that that family wrote that was so harsh, I saw another obituary that I want to read to you. Maybe one that we would all like to have said. Father and husband passed away whose name was Mark. Mark always listened to people. He never left anyone out, and he had a real passion for serving his community. This translated into years of volunteer service, including prison fellowship at 
Milner Ridge Correctional Center and the Winnipeg Flying Club and the Open door, Doorways Haitian Orphanage. Mark was well-known and respected in the community. He was very caring and a very compassionate person. And he always put the needs of others ahead of his own. It was the simple things around Mark in life that he never took for granted, commenting daily how fortunate he was, how thankful he was. Above all, Mark was absolutely devoted to his wife and sons. He was a father who was always very involved in every detail of his son's lives, and he supported, respected, and he loved his wife unconditionally. He was a man of strong faith, believing in the power and strength of Jesus Christ's love and the beauty and peace that would await him after passing. God, let that be us. You know, here's the deal. We can't do anything about the person that we have been to our family up till now. But today we have an opportunity. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Today and every day after this, you can do it right. You can get it right. You can walk your walk of faith where it really means the most with the people who are closest to you. Lord, that's the prayer of our heart today, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and make us more of who you are. Father, I pray today for any person who's here, any person watching this online that, that doesn't know you as Savior and Lord. The very greatest gift that we could give to ourselves as well as to our families would be to become men and women of God. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone watching this, anybody listening today, that they've not surrendered their heart to you, they've not invited you to be the Lord and director of their life, then, Lord, I pray that they would take that step today and they would take a step toward you, which would make them a little bit more of who you've called them to be. And for those of us who have taken that step, God, would you help us? It's so interesting how sometimes, as much as we hate it, Lord, we treat the worst, the people we say we love the most. Help us to get rid of that. Help us, Lord, to really become the men and women of God that we need to be right there in our homes where it has the most impact, where we're the most closely observed. Help us to demonstrate all of that fruit of the Spirit, not just when we're out on public trying to put on our best face, but Lord, help us to do it at home where we're in each other's way and we're in each other's space. Lord, it's so easy to, to be godly when there's no one else around. But when you surround us with other people who can sometimes be annoying and disturbing and can get under our skin just like we get under theirs, it becomes a little bit harder. So, Lord, we need your help. I, I, I love that prayer of the psalmist that, Lord, when he says, I, I want to walk a blameless path, and I need your help, especially in my home. Well, that's our prayer to God. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to bear the fruit 
that you would really want us to have. Help us to get rid of the blemishes, God, that are causing our family to not think that we are the men and women of God we ought to be. Help us to shed those things that are not of you and to take hold of those things that are. Help us to create homes where your love abounds. In your precious name, we pray today. And everyone said, amen. Amen.